On the eleventh day of Christmas, Moose brings to me the creator of Final Destination, Jeffrey Reddick. Welcome, horror hounds, to another installment of the 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. Today's gift is the gift of generational paranoia. That's right. We're going to talk about a film franchise that has created an entire generation of paranoid drivers and flyers and anything that involves looking at things sideways. And if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm talking about Final Destination. And I couldn't think of anyone better to bring on than the creator of Final Destination, Mr. Jeffrey Reddick. Hey, how are you? I love the um, the uh, paranoia. Like that's gonna be my thing now. It's like I bring paranoia. So that's my superpower. <laughs> prior to prior to my daughter watching this franchise, we were on a road trip, and there was this truck, big big log truck, and I got boxed in behind it, and I'm freaking the hell out. I'm like, I've got I've got to get out from behind this thing. And she's like, What is wrong with you? I was like, oh, I haven't introduced this to you yet. You you wait till we get home. <laughs> you know, and then we get home, and now she's watched the franchise. She's like, oh, I get it. And even now, so, like, we'll be on the road, and she'll be looking. She's like, Dad, you need to move over. Move over. Dad, move over. I'm like, I got time. Hold on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I love about about that scene in the second movie and the fact that it's kind of become, like, the scene that people keep memeing about is, um, you know, I, after the first movie, like I was working with the producer on coming up with a story for the second one. And, you know, they were, they were meeting me. They were meeting like every other horror writer in town, you know, which is fine. That's how, that's how, that's how they go. But, um, you know, we really liked the story, but that I came up with, but Craig Perry, the producer was like, we need a bigger, it was originally going to be a hotel fire. Um, the kids were going down to Florida for spring break and they got in the hotel fire. And he's like, we just need, we need something better. <laughs> like, come on, Jeffrey. And um, I was driving home to Kentucky to visit my family, um, which is actually kind of ties into when, where the first story idea came home, Kentucky. You can blame all this on Kentucky. Um, and I got behind one of those log trucks as one does in Kentucky. And I pulled over to the, I always pull over. And then it hit me like, and then I drove, pulled off the highway and I called the producer and I was like out of breath. And I'm like, what about a log truck on a freeway? And he's like, what? Slow down. I'm like, what about a log truck on a freeway? And he goes, that's the, that's the opening. And um, so I'm so glad that, uh, because that's one of my favorite openings. One of, it's not my favorite of, there's many favorites for horror franchises, but that, because I think, um, you know, the other, the other writers on the project, Eric Bryce and Jay Mackey Gruber did a great job on the script but we hired, um, or the studio hired um, David Ellis, who was a stunt, you know, had done a lot of stunt work to direct the movie. And he was an amazing director who's no longer with us. But we knew that he could visualize that whole segment better than anything that we could write. <laughs> so we just kind of said, here's here's the scene. The, you know, the chain snaps and the logs fly down the highway and mayhem ensues. And then he just choreographed such a brilliant scene i yeah i i I love that scene well and it's it's rare that such and i i don't want to say odd object but 
that one object can, you know, encompass at this point a five movie franchise. Like everybody, everybody looks at the log truck and thinks Final Destination. I mean, it's yeah. instantly recognizable to this franchise. And yeah, it just, it's, it, cool. <laughs> it's, it, it's astounding that, you know, this uh, essentially something that prior to the movie, you would pass every day on the interstate, you know, just completely just, oh, that's a truck hauling logs, that's a hauling pipes, hauling, you know, whatever, not a care in the world. And now there's at least a generation of people who have it ingrained in their head not to be behind that truck. That's crazy. It's pretty like, cause I'm a, I'm a lifelong horror fanatic anyway. So it is, it is really cool. Um, And yet it's, you know, I'm very great. It's just one of those things that people will send me. I probably get, I'm not exaggerating on average five a week of some, you know, there's somebody will put a TikTok video up or something and somebody will send that to me and, be like you i know you've probably seen these and you're sick of them and i'm like no the, the horror the horror fan in me is very happy to see these because um yeah it's just you know it's it's hard to make movies and you know it takes a lot of super talented people to bring it together and we've had some great directors and writers on all the films um it, you know it's a franchise i'm very proud of but it's it is in, it's interesting to see something go kind of to the next level where you know, 20 some years later, like people are still sitting around log truck memes. Um, and Devin Sawa posted something. There was like a Christmas truck um, full of trees and he, and he posted something about it. And then like, you know, they, you know, the, tr- the people magazines writing about it, you know, like Devin Sawa from Final Destination, find a Christmas tree. And it just cracks me up. Like, it's just cool. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's weird because, now, th- this is a movie that deals with fate and death. So no real physical bad guy, per se. Yeah. No murder weapon. You know, it's not Jason has his machete. Freddy has his claws. You know, Scream and Michael have their knives. You know, it's like iconic weapons. You know, Leatherface has his yeah. uh, chainsaw. Uh, Final Destination has a lot of great kills. But no, like, iconic weapon, and yet, log truck. Yeah. You know, it's just... I do kind of, I, I do kind of wish we had um, something so I could have a toy. Um, but that's the only, the only thing. Uh, be, and it's interesting, because that's part of the history of the, of the franchise. Because when I first, when I first wrote it, it was an X-Files script to get an agent. You know, because at the time it was like, you know, you had to write something for something popular on TV. So I used I had Scully's brother have a premonition and the adults got off, you know, him and a bunch of adults got off the plane. And when they started dying, they thought he was he was somehow killing them or something. Um, And I never sent it to the X-Files show. I just used that to get an agent because one of my friends at New Line, uh, Mark Hoffman, said, oh, this is a great idea for a feature. You should develop it as a feature. So I paired up with Craig Perry and Warren Zide. Um, who were two pro- producers that two of my friends started working with. That's why this business is always like a long journey to get from the inception of an idea to screen. And um, we had the hardest time convincing New Line to buy the project because they're like, we don't get how you can have death be the killer. Like we need an actual killer. 
So, you know, we fought them on that for a long time, but then finally, just to get them to buy it, I put like an angel of death in there. Um, and, but the angel of death didn't kill them directly. It was basically, it was very, my original version was very Nightmare on Elm Street influenced. So death like played on their survivor's guilt or something they felt bad about. And would, it, they were very like Nightmare on Elm Street scenarios where the person would end up killing themselves. So that was Death's MO in my original draft. And the studio thought that was too dark. Um, Fast forward, James, you know, multiple years later and you get Smile. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I never even thought about that. Yeah. But then, um, you know, James Wong and Glenn Morgan, who'd done some of my favorite work on shows like The X-Files, but they'd done so much more. Um, they came up with this, the idea of doing kind of a Rube Goldberg thing where death kind of uses everyday things around you to get you. Um, and I actually think that was much better because I think my nightmare version would have really appealed to like just horror fans. You know, I think the concept of not cheating death and, you know, death coming after you and killing you in the order you would have died is cool. But I think if it, if the deaths had been like nightmare and Elm Street, it was suicides. I think that, that would have just appealed to horror fans. And I think, when they came up with the Rube Goldberg aspect that really opened up the film to people. Like I see, I meet so many people who are like, I don't normally like horror movies, but I love these movies. Um, and I think it has opened it up to a bigger audience. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm really glad that, that it went that way because I, and also one of, one of the things when I didn't want to show death, I didn't want to, even with our angel of death, like I didn't want to tie death into any kind of cultural or religious background because i wanted because I, I knew you know these horror films travel you know they play internationally and stuff like that so i never wanted to tie it into a specific religion or cultural belief um because that i think that makes it more terrifying i mean death everybody has to die at some point and unless you're buddhist you're not afraid of dying because if you're buddhist you're gonna you know be reincarnated i think that's buddhism if i got that wrong i'm embarrassed but uh, well, and say so, yeah, I won't make death is the great um, equalizer and the great unknown. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think tapping into that, what was, you know, is what we really tried to do, even from the beginning um, of the process was like, try to keep this as accessible as possible, you know, as far as everybody is afraid of death. And yeah, if you make it too tied into one culture, then there's a little level of separation where you're like, well, that's not how I see death. So I'm not afraid of it. So Whereas now it's with, with the uh, the way the movie was set up, you end up being more afraid of everyday objects. Yes, yes. And ultimately, it it does make you more aware of your surroundings. Um, and as I listened to you talk about the essentially the evolution from you know nightmare to you know where the franchise ended, I think part of why it has such a uh, wide reach is it has more of a mystery feel to it with horror mixed in than straight horror. Yeah. You know, cause it's all right. Who's going to die next? How are they going to die next? You know, and you start dissecting the clues right along with them. Yes. And I think that, that was another, you know, and, and that's why I, I bring up Craig Perry a lot, but he's, I've worked with a lot of producers and he's, He's one of my first, but he's also one of my favorites. And that's no disrespect to any other producer I've worked with. But Craig is like, first of all, he's such a nice guy. Like just, he's one of those rare, like nice people in, in, in this. He's not rare. I shouldn't say that. 
but he's one of those really nice people that also loves the genre and has a lot of respect for it. So you want those kind of people because a lot of times you'll get a project picked up and you'll have one or two people on the team who are like horror fans, but then the other people don't know the genre or don't care about it. And so Craig always pushes, he always pushes for more because I also with the first movie, like we had the basic set up, you know, um, worked out between us. And this was another point where he's like, there, he goes, they're just, he goes, I need, there needs to be one more layer than the fact that they cheated death and now death is coming after them. And so I'm racking my brain. And then it hit me one night. It's like, oh, well, what if they're dying in the order they would have died originally? That way, Alex figures out like a pl that there's a plan that death has. And so now he's got a chance to kind of maybe beat it. And um, so, yeah, that whole idea of like them dying in the order, like setting up that mystery was something that I was really it, it was just another one of those. The creative process is crazy. Sometimes you'll write something and people just are like, all right, we'll just make what you wrote. And sometimes when you develop it with people, you come up, you know, especially if they push you to 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 think harder, you know, it's like, all right, we got a great concept, but let's like add let's add something else to it. And so, you know, that the whole design, like that was something and again, two days of like drinking a lot of Red Bull and coming up with a bunch of different ideas that weren't working. And then, yeah, super late one night when I was delirious from lack of sleep. I was like, yo, what if they were dying in the order they would have died in the crash? Oh, that sounds cool. And then I called Craig up. He's like, that's it. That's what I like about Craig, too. When you nail something, he's like, that's it. Now, so that let us set up a mystery and gave, you know, gives gave Alex something proactive that he could do to try to stop death. There, there's a uh, story I came across that I wanted to ask you about because mm -hmm. it, it's just it's fascinating to me. And the more we talk about Nightmare and Final Destination, I feel this is the right time to ask about it. I heard a story that you uh you you wrote a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street prequel when you were fourteen. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a it, it's so it's so funny looking back because yeah the well I'll tell you the story then I'll tell you my takeaway from it yeah because I. I saw a nightmare on Elm street when I was 14 and um, it was a double feature with alone in the dark and it was playing at our dry local drive-in. And, um, you know, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and we, um, we, we were, you know, we were, didn't have a lot of money. So I know like for movies, my friend, uh, Tony Calhoun, um, who's also no longer with us. <laughs> Death sucks. Um, but we would sit on his dad's, uh, his dad was a, had a huge truck and we would sit on his dad's truck and turn on the CB and we could watch the movies from his backyard. Um, so Alone in the Dark plays. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. And I saw Nightmare on Elm Street after that. My expectations are pretty low because I didn't realize till later that they did something in the processing of the film where the neg where the film prints got washed out. So for some reason on the TVs, like the tr the movie looked cheap. You know, because it was just more washed out. That's yeah. all. So I had no expectations for Nightmare on Elm Street. And when I saw that movie, it fucking blew me away. Like, I was obsessed with it. And luckily, because it was playing at the drive-in, um, that was the second run. So it was getting ready to come out on um, VHS. Um, and I got obsessed with that movie. So I went home and I banged out a prequel, um, which... I honestly don't remember a, a ton about it because I, I never kept it because you're not thinking, you know, at 14, you're not yeah. thinking that far ahead. 
Um, I just know that it was like Freddie killing people and the kids figuring it out. And then the parents, it was, it was the typical, what you'd expect a 14 year old to write. And I sent it to Bob Shea at New Line Cinema. Like I looked up his information and I, I, I called and got the address and I mailed him my prequel idea. And he sent it back to me because he's like, you know, we don't read unsolicited material. And I didn't even know what unsolicited meant because I was 14. Uh, so I just wrote him back and I'm like, look, sir, I spent $3 on your movie. So I think you can take five minutes to read my story. And he did. He read it and he got back to me and he was very encouraging, but also like, you know, you've got a great imagination, um, you know, definitely study, you know, the formatting, you know, study more, but you've got a great imagination and, you know, keep doing this. And so I stayed in touch with him and his assistant, uh, Joy Mann, who was just like a, an angel in my life. Like she would send me scripts and, to read and she would send me like toys from movies. And, you know, for some kid living out in Eastern Kentucky, like this was like. It was Christmas every so, day. Every day. And so encouraging. I used to call her collect. I mean, I can't believe, I look back at it. I, when I met her, when I started working at New Line, I apologize. And she said, oh, I loved it. But I mean, I was like calling her collect because I didn't know any better. Um, and so, yeah, like I stayed in touch with them from age 14 to 19. And then I went to New York to study acting at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And, and they offered me an internship at New Line Cinema. And, you know, and that's all she wrote. Like I ended up working there for 11 years. And, you know, they passed on many of my other projects. But um, I'm so happy that, you know, that they made my first one it's just so it's just very nice to be part of the house that freddie built you know yeah um and yeah and it's when i tell the story it sounds easy but there were many years of like again like when i started at working in new york i was interning you didn't really get paid so i'm working at you know working as a waiter and living at the y and you know eating ramen noodles and writing scripts and having them get passed on and and learning that you know, my writing definitely wasn't as, you know, they were very encouraging, but I, I never studied screenwriting. So I, I was kind of self-taught, but even when you're self-taught, you still, it takes many scripts and many years to get to the point <laughs> where you're ready for prime time. So I, I had sent them scripts that they would be like, oh, it got, it got good coverage, but it's not right for us. And when I started working there, I went and looked up the coverage and it was like, uh, this script was obviously written by a middle schooler. And I was like, I was in high school. How dare you? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was older than that. <laughs> yeah. So some brutal coverage. But I learned, you know, the great thing about working at a studio like that, especially, I mean, New Line, when I was working there, was like at its prime as far as creativity. Because Bob Shea was such a film lover um, and still is. Like, that's you couldn't ask for somebody, you know, better to be running a studio. He was such a film lover. And, you know, Sarah Risher was there and Mike DeLuca was there. Like we just we were there at the heyday when they were so ballsy because they took a chance on Nightmare. Um, you know, every studio had passed on it. So they were very much into taking calculated risks. So, mm -hmm. you know, they made Blade when people were like, who wants to see a black, you know, vampire hunter? You know, people kind of don't I, remember. A lot of people I don't do. remember Blade. I know we all fucking do. And it's like a lot of people don't realize like Blade was actually the first black, you know, superhero movie out of, you know, studio superhero movie. Um, and 
they did they would just do the mask they would do all these weird movies that other people were like this is this isn't going to sell or nobody's going to go see this movie and then they would so um but i i i learned a how to collaborate and and i know how the business works but i also learned not to take rejection personally because i would see a lot of times you know a great script would come in with no attachments and then a bad script would come in with like an a-list actor and of course they're going to go with the bad script um <laughs> because of the star that's just kind of how studios you know comes with name value yeah so i learned i learned early on like to separate my ego from the process um and and learn that my you know my value as a writer wasn't determined by whether somebody made a movie or not um so that's helped me survive as long as i have without be, being like a bitter you know jerk <laughs> like <laughs> so but yeah like i i always give credit to nightmare on elm street because it's had such a huge influence on my life and career it's also my favorite movie period I mean, I've seen that movie so many times and um, it had such an impact on me. And um, yeah, that, you know, Wes Craven was such a pioneer and such a one of a kind like filmmaker, you know, such a loss that we don't have him with us. But what a wonderful library and legacies left behind. But mm -hmm. yeah, fucking Nightmare on Elm Street's like just my favorite <laughs> movie. Well, then you, you took that perseverance and learning rejection at a young age and created what's become a very fast growing franchise. And I don't mean fast, like, Oh, every year we're cranking out a movie, but it's picking up new audience. You know, like the, the first one picks up a new audience every couple of years. And then that leaps to the next one. And then, you know, it just yeah. keeps growing. And, Looking back, when you started on what would become Final Destination, could you even fathom it getting to two, let alone we're coming up on six? I mean, I I definitely, just, just because I grew up on the genre, um, I always thought sequel, you know, I always... I didn't... It was, it was part of my DNA. It wasn't calculated, like, I've got to write something that's going to be a franchise but i knew that you know i i had an idea for like a sequel already you know what i'm saying like i did have an idea for another one but i've seen so many other films where they don't have sequels so i don't i never plan on it i just hope for it um and not because i because i try to come up with stories where i want to know more it's not like i want to just kind of tell a story and just keep rehashing the same thing over and over again um so that's why i was ex with part two it's like i wanted to kind of you know set up these four teenagers that you think are going to be the leads and then kill kill the teenagers off quickly except for uh kimberly and you know also with the sequel i wanted to bring the you know og players back and i wanted to show that the fact that the people cheated death in the first movie had impacted all these other people's lives um so like everybody who was on that who was supposed to die on that freeway had a connection because they cheated death before because the characters in the first movie lived. So those were the, those were the things that I wanted to accomplish with the sequel. And then, um, you know, they took my story and then Eric Bress and J Mackie Gruber, um, who are fucking awesome screenwriters. Like, you know, they had, they had, you know, some stuff that they wanted to do and they had in the different characters 
um, except for the returning ones. And Kimberly, you know, was always the lead um, in both of our stories. But they they wrote a really fun, fun movie. Like the second one's kind of my favorite, to be honest. Like I love all of them in different ways, but I just there's something so I think it's a log truck scene, too. Like that's I I just have fun watching that one, um, except I don't like that we didn't bring it, you know, because I'd written Alex to come back as well. So uh, Clear and Alex are supposed to come back for the sequel and they could get Alex back and they just they killed him off screen in a really stupid way. So that's my only sore spot with the second one is. um, But then I'm like, you don't see him get killed. There's only a newspaper clipping. So there's that horror brain in me that goes, well, we never saw him get killed. So maybe so, he's not actually dead. I know. I know that I would love to do that at some point is to have them bring him back. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the, 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 the new one. Um, yeah. The new one's like written and everything and it's great. And we have such a cool team on it. And I still say we, because I mean, I'm not technically involved in the new ones, but you know, I know what's going on with them and, and, you know, I, I, again, give all credit, you know, especially for the first movie to James Wong and Glenn Morgan for, for, you know, the Rube Goldberg story that they told and the, you know, the directing and everything on that film. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is my baby. You know what I'm saying? Like it started off, I, I was with it for, for many years trying to crack that nut on how to get it, you know, get it made. And so it is my baby and I'm, and I'm, I love whenever they do a new one and yeah, they got the, uh, the writers of scream with the story by John Watts. He did Spider-Man and, um, and we've got the directors of freaks, you know, directing it. Um, it's just like an A team of people working on the new one. So, uh, yeah, I'm just really so happy with it, with the franchise. Even, you know, I don't, you know, I know some people rag on the fourth one. Um, but the fourth one, we just had to hurry that one out because of the writer strike that, you know, we just came out of a new one, but you know, the strike was about to happen. So they, they just had to rush the script. Um, so, but it's still a fun movie, you know, like I still, I watched it the other night. I'm like, yeah, you know, I think that, I think the issue with the fourth one is they called it the final destination, which in horror terms, you know, we always know that that's usually like the final chapter where, we're expecting a lot of answers like, oh, they're going to explain, you know, who Tony Todd is and they're going to do this and they're going to. And then so people saw it and they're like, wait, this wasn't this was just, you know, it's fun, but it's not like the final chapter of Friday the 13th where they killed Jason for, you know, a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so but I think expectations were so high, but the movie did amazingly well. And then I thought part five was was brilliant. I showed it to a friend the first for the first time had no idea about the twist ending, which spoiler, I won't say what it is in case people haven't seen it, but um, yeah, he was like, well, what the fuck? I was like, yeah, right. That's the good stuff. Yeah. So, so, Oh you, yeah. I ran, I do tend to ramble. Sometimes, oh no, you're, oh, but, I, I love it. But my, but my feelings on it are, <laughs> I mean, it just, again, it, I, I always go back to being a horror fan. Like I, I'm just very grateful you know, I'm grateful that the fans, you know, have supported the franchise for so long. I'm so grateful for everybody involved. You know, like, I mean, I got to to meet Tony Todd and we're I mean, we're like friends now and he's amazing. And I'm friends with Devin um, and I've you know gotten to, to know all the filmmakers. And 
have had, you know, just met some wonderful friends and then also you meet the fans and, you know, that's why you do it as a, as a writer. It's like, you know, I certainly would love to have a couple of more studio films released, you know, before, before I go. But if I, if, if I were to have a final destination moment tomorrow, like at least I, you know, I know that something that I started like has made a mark in the genre. So that's a blessing that I always go back to whenever I start like feeling like down on myself or like, Oh, I'm not writing enough or what am I, you know, all the create, all the stuff that creative people go through. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, if nothing else, you definitely have a lasting legacy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm really proud of it. And it, and it's also, again, it's just the fan interaction, you know, cause I used to be, you know, the other, on the other side of it too. Like, I mean, I, you know, when I worked at New Line, I got to meet so many stars and I never, the only two times I've ever gotten nervous, we were doing a documentary on New Line called The House That Freddie Built. And they interviewed me and they told me that Wes was coming in in an hour and asked me if I wanted to stay and meet him. And I'm a grown ass man at this point, but I was too nervous because I was like, I don't want to be like that guy lurking around and it's like, <laughs> oh, he's, you know, waiting to meet you. So I, I left and I was like, you idiot. And luckily I got to meet him at a premiere a couple of years after that. But I was like, I was, he was like my idol and it was, I, I was just too nervous. And then the second one, which this will probably bring back some memories, but did you ever watch the V mm-hmm. miniseries? Yeah. The original. Yep. So Nightmare on Elm Street is to V is to TV. What Nightmare on Elm Street is to me for movies. I obsessed with that show. And, um, I when I I was directing a short and I wanted to get Jane Badler in it who played Diana who I is like one of my favorite characters ever, um, and she did the short. Um, she was in Australia, so we shot her remotely. But she said, "Oh, um, she's coming to LA." She had, she invited me out to lunch, and I s- sat down for her. And that was the only time I've ever been starstruck. And I literally didn't know what to say. I'm like sitting there just looking at her, and she's nice and beautiful and funny and smart. And I'm just sitting there looking at her. And I finally, I'm like, I need a minute. I'm actually, now I know what starstruck is and I just don't know what to say. It's, she was so nice, but like, that was the first time I've ever been starstruck. So it's like Wes Craven and her. Um, but there, I'm sure there are, I mean, there's some people that I would get starstruck if I met them, but um, yeah, that was just the Wes Craven story cracked me up because I had a chance to actually probably have a, professional like, like a proper conversation and yeah real introduction yeah. and yeah and you're but like no nope. at the premiere <laughs> i gotta say at the premiere he was so gracious because we we ended up talking for like 15 like 15 or 20 minutes we sat down and in i and i'm always like i don't want to like take their time you know like, i don't want to be that guy but he was like you know i did tell him kind of my story and he yeah he was really impressed and you know and grateful he's like oh i'm glad that you know my work's had such an impact on you and stuff so so since I know you've been in, you know, in, in the loop about six, is there anything that you can you share? You sneaky bastard. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, what? Finish your question. So is there anything is there that a- you can share that will, uh, I guess it doesn't, the movie doesn't really need hype, but just to kind of, you know, satiate the uh, uh, palette until the movie drops. I mean, the funny thing is I, I'm very careful, like I, to not say anything that's not public knowledge. Cause yeah, 
Um, but I, it's not the firefighters. I know, I know there's stuff going around saying it's firefighters and first responders, which that was a version that they had that was really solid. Um, but that's not the version that's, that's coming, coming out now. And it's been announced that Tony Todd's coming back. So yeah, I can share that, which, you know, does my heart really good because I, I, you know, I personally, I think he's just a crucial element to the, to the franchise and he's just such an amazing actor and guy. So, um, he, he's coming back and he's got, a, he's, you know, it's, it's going to be more than a, it's going to be more than a showing up to give a little information, you know, like, so, um, I think the fans are going to be really happy with that. And I think, I think they're going to be really excited about the story too. Like it's, you know, like, I, I, well, like with part five, I think part five, aside from the twist at the end, you know, they added a really interesting element to the story about, you know, you, you know, if you t take somebody's life, um, you get theirs. And, you know, this movie doesn't just kind of do that. It's not just a final destination movie where it's like same setup and there's just one new rule. Like there's actually a, there's a kind of a really cool story that is, um, being a cool mystery story that's being uncovered see it goes um, back I, to its mystery with horror thrown in yeah yeah and that that's all i can say um but but i think again this is definitely i'm not just saying this like it, we have an a team on this one and and everybody involved like loves the franchise this this was not a hash grab by anybody i mean the directors it, it's their their pitch meeting which you know on one level, you're like, this is amazing. On another level, you're like, I hope everybody else doesn't start expecting us to do this. But they did, they did a Zoom pitch for the movie um, with the producers, and 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 as it's play, as they're doing their pitch, they they switched it over to like something they pre-recorded. So you're watching the pitch, and then all of a sudden, there's a fireplace behind them that flares up, and they're like, oh shit, and it keeps going, and then other stuff starts happening, and like a ceiling fan falls on one of the guys i don't know if it was adam or um jay um that it fell on but um yeah it fell on one of them and so the people watching the pitch are like what the fuck but they it wasn't because of the shock value because I, I talked to craig about it and he's like most people don't get like final destination like people love yes they love the kills but it's what's leading up to the kills that keeps them on the edge of their seat it's like like you said how are they going to is it going to be this or is it going to be that? And there's a, a lot of people that don't, you know, kind of get the rhythm of a Final Destination movie. And in their pitch, like they, Craig's like, they nailed it. Like it was like watching a Final Destination scene over Zoom with these guys. And um, so that shows you how much they wanted this job, like, and how in tune they were. And so I think that's the key to any, keeping any franchise alive is, you know, it's, it's very funny because we have the first four, like it was like Glenn and James and, and me on the first one. I worked on the story with the second one with Jay Mackey, Gruber and Eric Bress. And then Eric James and Glenn came back for the third one. Then Eric Bress did the fourth, fourth one. And then in the fifth one, they, you know, they kind of started branching out to new people, but you know, you had this core group of people on the first four that have been with this franchise for a long time. And, care about it and then the people that they brought on after really care like that's the one great thing i think new line and and craig make sure of is like nobody you know we're, we're not just going to hire somebody you know to come in who's like oh i just need a job 
you know, like I don't care about the franchise because we're very mindful of the fans. Like, because obviously without respecting the fans, you don't have a franchise. Um, and I had more conversations with Craig where we're talking and he'll, we'll talk about something and something will come up and, and it, all right, it goes back to the fan. It really does. I mean, we, we, you know, we know the kind of rules of the world of the movie, but it's really like, you know, our conversations are about the fans and it's not like a lot of other producers where it's like, well, we could shit another sequel out, you know, every year for cheap and, you know, make money. Like it's never, that conversation has never happened. Um, and I think that's what makes these movies special. And I hate to say it cause then I start thinking about how old I am, but you know, it's been 13 years, I think coming this coming year since the first one came out or no, not 13 years. It's been, um, has it been 13 years since the last one? It's been a long time. It's been a long time since we had a sequel. Um, so my joints didn't hurt when the, when the movie came out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I wrote the first one. I was a savant. So no, 2011 is when final Ascension five came out. So yeah, be almost 13 years. So it's crazy when you think about it. It's insane. The time flies bad, but, you know, good things come to those who wait. So. Oh, absolutely. So before we put this to bed, where can listeners keep up to follow you to keep up to date with any projects you're working on and things like that? Um, they can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, X um, or Instagram. My um, my um, handle is Jeffrey A. Reddick on both of those uh it's it's always it's frustrating with these because i try to like on twitter i can follow back or x i can follow back anybody you know they don't have a limit on how many people you follow but on instagram you can only you can follow as many people as you want or, or there's there's a cap on how many people um like so i can only follow like seven thousand five hundred people on instagram and when i first signed up for it i was just following everybody I was just going through and seeing cute guys and following them and following cats and following. And then all of a sudden it got to the point where I couldn't follow people back. So I had to go back and start deleting some of the cats and people that I didn't know. Goodbye, um, kitty. <laughs> goodbye, kitty. So, you know, Instagram is probably, you know, there's, there's a lot of Instagram isn't as, isn't, isn't as much of a minefield as Twitter, but I am on Twitter more because I just, that's, you know, where I've, I've gotten, you know, I can interact more directly. Um, but I update, I update all of them. And f the only reason I don't say Facebook is because I've, they have a max of how many people you can follow on Facebook. And um, so I, I'm not on Facebook as much as I, as I should be not as much as I should be. I just, I always feel bad when people write me and I don't write them back, but it's like, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm working. I'm trying to work on the, I'll come up with the next final destination. And listeners, I will put the links to his socials in the episode description, and you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com, or if you just want to look for me, you can head over to Facebook, Twitter, and now YouTube at Moose Media Inc. Just look for the moose. And Jeffrey, this has been more than fun. And... I have to have you back because there's so much that we didn't cover. Uh, yes, I'm much more than just Final Destination. Oh, but yes. I, I love it. 
<laughs> but I love Final Destination, so I'm always happy to talk about it. As I say, to properly dive into Jeffrey's career, we would be here for a while. So you got to tease. Look forward to little, seeing him. Tease it. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll be back on the episode list in 2024. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Yeah, and and um and um thanks for having me and a, and happy holidays to all the fans out there that are listening. Um and then yeah, here's to a great 2024. Couldn't have said it better myself and until next time horror hounds, mash on. Mash on. <laughs>